Rock Church. How is everybody? Great, tired, a lot of different responses. Well, I am so thankful to be here with you all this morning to praise our good and gracious King. So as you're here this morning, feel free to stand and sing, sit and pray, um, however the Lord leads you to worship Him this morning. Search the world, but it couldn't fill me. A man's empty praise, treasures that fade, never enough. And you came along, put me back together. Dancing, you give beauty for ashes. 
and generations falling down in worship to sing the song of ages to the name and all have gone before us and all who will believe sing the song of ages to the name
Praise the Lord. You guys, Michael's going to come up now and share some things, so give him your undivided, complete attention, please. Good morning. That is a hard song to follow up with, with announcements. I'd rather just go back to worship. I don't know about you. Uh, the holiness of God, we all know that. Holy is not his name. Holy is who he is. And... Uh, that's the very thing we're called to be, holy, because he is holy. Uh, welcome. My name is Michael. Uh, I am one of the uh, associate pastors here on staff. I have a privilege of serving along with some great men and women of God. Uh, serve the congregation of Rimrock and serve our God. Um, before I get into the announcements, won't you relax? Let, let's do this. Let's get up... Uh, I know you were standing up, but I want you to find somebody and uh, tell them that God requires them to be holy because he is holy. And then I have a list of announcements, like about 20, 30 minutes. So, so I want to get this out of the way. So why don't we take quick, about a minute or so, find somebody and tell them God loves them and that they are holy because God is holy. Let's go. No, you're not going home.
that in your uh All right. Thank you for doing that. Appreciate that. Um, remember, you got to give me your undivided attention, said Hannah. So, and she's our worship leader. We need to listen to her. So, I've learned that I should listen to women more, not less. Um, some of you are smiling because you know that. So, anyhow. Uh, if you're here for the first time, I want to welcome you. I want to thank you for being here. Um, in the front pocket of your seat, there is a, a card for those of you that are visiting us or here for the first time. Uh, we'd love for you to fill that out, bring it to the uh, welcome desk up there. We have a gift for you and give you more information about who we are, what we do, and why we worship and serve and study the Word of God every weekend in and out. We have our first step coming up. Um, if you're new here, you've been coming here for a while, perhaps you've been going here for, I don't know, a few months, a few years, a decade or two, and you haven't taken this class, we want to encourage you to sign up for the first step. It's coming up. It's going to be January 22nd, it's at 10.30 a.m., and it will be in the gathering room. You all came in this morning. Hopefully, you all received one of our handout, right? I hope you did. If you haven't, make sure you grab. There's a lot more information on these than I really have time to tell you, and um, I don't want to bore you with all this stuff because not all this applies to you. For instance, the Black Hills um, Pregnancy Center is doing a fundraising. We do this every year. This is really a great cause. All causes are great. Don't, I'm not distinguishing between the ministries but what what you do with this you fill it with change money whatever and just bring it back to us and we'll make sure they get it and they're doing a little fundraising it's a fun little thing there's a table outside if you missed it please stop by and pick one up also um let me see i'm gonna skip that skip that okay now the important uh one of the things that's really important as you know we're a congregational church so as a being a congregational church, any and all big decisions goes through the congregation. We want to make sure the congregation is involved and, and they voice their ideas, their opinions, and it's important. And it's all done for accountability. So we have a meeting coming up on January 29th. We will be, both campuses going to be at Performance Center uh, downtown. Uh, my understanding is that it used to be a high school, but now it's a performance art center. So we're going to be there at 9 o'clock in the morning. Make sure you mark that. There won't be anybody here. And you have to stop and get your own donut on the way over there because there won't be any donut over there or coffee. See, I'm giving you a heads up. Don't come yell at me where is the coffee and donut. So, um, but what we want to do is, as you know, this is, we've been talking about this, and we did this for Fall Phillip. We focused on our downtown campus, and simply they're kind of outgrowing the space they're in. Also, the space that they're currently in has been bought by another uh, company, and they kind of want us out of there, and we need a bigger space. So, so we have found the space. Well, the space kind of found us. They approached us. You all, if you know, on Main Street, uh, the old journal... Uh, Rapid City Journal building is available, and we've been in uh, 
negotiation with them about purchasing it. So we will have some information for you as you leave. Uh, please feel free to grab. And if you have any questions, uh, we're here to answer any of those questions. Next Sunday, after the second service, whether you're a member or not, everybody could attend this. We're going to have a time of question and answer to talk about what are we doing for downtown from a standpoint of this building. Uh, it's a pretty nice building. It definitely has plenty of space for downtown campus as it's growing and God doing some great stuff out there. So our goal is when on, on the 29th to vote whether or not move forward with purchasing. The building is, has uh, 30,000 square foot, three levels, basement, main level, and the second floor. And um, they, uh, and this was a, one of the problems with downtown was parking. This building that we're purchasing comes with the parking that's behind it. So the parking lot and the building are asking for a price of 1.2 million. I know that sounds like a lot of money, but wait. Downtown, you can't touch anything for that kind of money, especially a space that big. We were looking at another space which was half a size and they wanted 2.75 million. And we had to let that go because that's far beyond what we feel comfortable as a church. We want to make sure we're a good steward of what God's given us. So I say all this, please, 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 we want to encourage you to be here not only next Sunday after the second service question and answer, pick up uh, information out there to kind of familiar yourself with what's going on. And then, of course, the January 29th is going to be very, very important. It is a meeting afterwards for the members, but as if you haven't signed up to be a member, please, you're welcome to come. We want you to come because we want to make sure we all kind of get behind this and help our downtown campus uh, to get a little bigger space for them. Uh, that being said, let's get back to worship. I'm sorry for taking so long. Uh, I, I just tell you what they tell me to say. So, like I said, I listen to women in my life, and I live longer. Um, thank you. And uh, let's, Hannah, would you like to come back up? By the way, are we blessed with such a great worship team? Hannah, Tom, and yeah, please. Um, as we uh, sing these next couple songs, kind of what's been on my mind, and just as Ben spoke last week and this week, um, as we're getting more and more into Revelations, um, and just looking at Jesus and who he is and who he really is, I know there's times I've stepped into scripture and read something that maybe I didn't like or didn't feel comfortable, um, but my deepest desire, regardless of how it makes me feel, is that I know I know God as he truly, truly is. Uh, so these songs speak to how much we depend on him. To even know him as he is, we need to submit, we need to surrender our expectations and our agenda and just come before him humbly, saying, God, not my will, but yours be done. So let's sing this together. Oh, my waking breath, my daily bread, I depend on you, I depend on you. 
You're the way. You're 
that is our desire, that's our prayer today, is that we would know you as you really are, God, and that we would just continue to know you more. God, that is what we spend our lives doing, is just getting to know you and then know you more. Would you be with Ben this morning, God? God, would you speak the words that you want through him? God, would you help us, as Hebrews says, to have confidence in our leaders and submit to their authority? As they keep watch over us as one who must give an account. We do this so that it will be a joy and not a burden for them, God. So thank you for the leaders. Thank you for the shepherds that you've put in place. God, may we glorify you this morning through our worship, through our listening, through our response. Amen. Would you join me in prayer as we uh, open the book of Revelation this morning? 
Praise God, from whom all blessings flow. Praise Father, praise Son, praise Holy Spirit. And I know uh, as we are here before you, Lord, as we are gathered as your people, Lord, there's a, there's a battle raging in each of our hearts, in our world. And Lord, you know the struggles of each person here, whether it's physical, spiritual, mental, anxiety, stress, circumstances that are too big. Lord, we just, we pause for a second to pray, to open our hearts, to open our minds. And would you, just in the quiet of your own heart, in your own words, would you praise Jesus? Would you give him your heart this morning? Jesus, we believe in you and that there's victory in your blood, in your death, in your resurrection, and the battles that we face are very small to you, Lord. And so we look to you, open our eyes to see your glory, that you are the first and the last, that you are the Alpha and the Omega, that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and that you alone are worthy of all glory and honor and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so good to be together, to sing together, to praise together. We're going to be in Revelation chapter 2. Last week we read Revelation chapter 1. I'm going to read the whole chapter 2 with you this morning so you can open your Bibles. I think it will also be on the screen and you can follow, follow along. To the angel, which in the Greek is literally messenger, to the messenger of the church in Ephesus write... These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and endured hardships for my name. Circle that. (laughs) That's important. For my name. And you have not grown weary Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love that you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you did not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practice of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Whoever's ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is the paradise of God. To the angel, the messenger of the church in Smyrna, write, these are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you. And you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. To the church in Perigmum, to the messenger, the angel of the church in Perigmum, writes, These are the words of him who has the sharp, double-edged sword. I know where you live. Where Satan has his throne, yet you remain true to my name. Circle, in my name. You did not renounce 
your faith in me, not even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold to the teachings of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food sacrificed to idols and committed sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teachings of the Nicolaitans. Repent, therefore, otherwise I will soon come to you and I will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Whoever's ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. To the church in Thyatira, to the angel, the messenger of the church in Thyatira, write, These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service, perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling, so I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her to suffer intensely, unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead, then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will pray, repay each of you according to your deeds. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teachings and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. And that one will rule with them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery. Just as I have received authority from my Father, I will also give that one the morning star. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Praise God for His Word. So as we uh, continue in our journey through the book of Revelation, let me remind you of chapter 1, where we were yesterday, which is a revelation of Jesus Christ. And so this book isn't primarily about the end times. It's not primarily about what will happen um, in the future, although it does speak to the future. It speaks to the coming of Christ. It is primarily about Jesus Christ. <laughs> And the unveiling, the revealing of who Jesus really is. And the invitation and the command in chapter 1 was to look, look. And the question we left with last week was, do we see Jesus for who he really is? Do we really see him for who he really is? And that helps us understand these letters to the churches. Now remember, this is written by the Apostle John, who was a pastor. He probably pastored in Ephesus. He probably was in each one of these seven churches. So he's writing these letters not to unknown people, but people that he loves, people he cares about. I can imagine, uh, as a pastor, <laughs> as I look at your faces, and I see people that I respect and I love so much. And I can imagine that John felt those feelings as he's receiving this message from Jesus. But it's ultimately not about John. It's ultimately not about me and how I feel about you. It's, an, 
ultimately about how Jesus feels about us. <laughs> and according to Revelation chapter 1, that he is among the lampstands, that the church is his lampstand, and he holds the stars in his hand. And so the church is important to him. The people of God are important to him. And so what it reveals is God's heart for his people, his love for you, his love for me, his love for the churches, for his church, his body, his bride. And so what we're going to see here is that the church is local. When God thinks of the church, it's not just in spiritual terms, it's in local terms, in historical, local places, places like Johnson Siding, South Dakota, right? Places that have names, that have histories, where people live and work, and we live out our lives. That's where the church is. It's physical, it's local, and it's spiritual. And we're a people called to be the people of Jesus, the people of God. When we are baptized, we're baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so we're taking on the identity of who God is. And so I want you to notice this. In each of these letters, we only read uh, about a few of them. Next week, we're going to hear the rest of them. In each of these, what does the letter open with? Not who the church is, like how big their buildings are, or how good their music is, or how good their preaching is, because we, we have an idea of success, or what things should look like as human beings, but, but God has a whole different view, and what matters is what God thinks. <laughs> Not what I think, or you think, or what we think, what God thinks, and when he thinks of the church, he thinks of his own identity as the Son of God. And so each of these letters opens with a picture of who Jesus is. <laughs> I love that. I love that. And I, I got to uh, admit to you, and, and we have to remind ourselves of this, is that, that we can so easily look at the wrong things. We can measure the wrong things. Even as Michael talked about the possibility of us purchasing a building and, and all those things, and there's good things to that, and that, that's okay, and, and there's a purpose, there's a gospel purpose in that, but it's not what makes us who we are. It's not what makes us who we are. Our identity is not in those things. Those things are transitory things, passing things. What is the identity of the church? It's not found in us. It's found in and who God is, <laughs> and who Jesus is. Our identity is found in Him. And I, I just want to remind us that this letter, the book of Revelation, isn't to individuals, it's to churches. And that tells us something very important about who we are as human beings. Yes, we are individuals, and the Bible, I think, speaks highly of the human dignity of who we are as individuals. It's a beautiful thing. And our, our culture is so blessed with individual freedoms because of what the Bible teaches about the dignity and the value of every single human being made in the image of God. Infinite value. But we are not alone in our value and our identity. We are meant and called to be a people, a community, in relationship with others. This is God's design and His purpose and how He made us. And we know this intrinsically. One of the worst tortures that could ever happen to a human being is to be in isolation, right? To be separated from everyone else. And so our identity not only comes, first of all, from Jesus, but it also comes in who we are as a people, as a community, and our connections and our relationships 
with others. And we're going to see that this is really important for our good and for God's glory. We live in a culture, in a world, that is fighting against God. And we're going to see that in Revelation so clear that there is a battle and a hatred against God. And one of the things our culture says is that we can only find identity by looking within, that somehow we can discover who we are by looking at our own hearts, our own desires, our own emotions. But the Bible says, be careful. (laughs) The heart is deceptive above all else. And if we look within, we will only find despair and sinfulness. No, we need to find who we are from without, from outside of ourselves. And the Bible tells us that is found in God and God alone. He is our maker. He is our father. He is the one who gives us our names and our identity and who we are as human beings. And so our identity is found in Jesus. And this is true for us as individuals, and it's true for us as a church. Let's not forget that. Will you remind me of that? And I'll remind you of that. My identity of a pastor isn't how, what, from the outside, how we look successfully, maybe from the world's eyes or different things. It comes from what Jesus says, what he thinks about us. I love what David said about, um, uh, well, Samuel said about David when they were choosing a king, and he had all these wonderful, strong, young men who looked like they were going to make great kings, right? And he said, man looks on the outside, but God judges the heart. And God chose the runt of the litter, right? <laughs> he chose the youngest man, the one who didn't, didn't seem to have the right characteristics, yet God saw his heart. You guys, I am, I am so much more concerned what God says to us at Rimrock Church. I, when we were beginning the series, and we were, as a preaching team meeting, Bill uh, so wisely said, he said, I wonder, I wonder what, Jesus' letter to Rimrock Church would be? (laughs) And that's the right question. That's the right question because it's not what we think or what we're trying to be. It's who does Jesus say we are? What is he calling us to be? What does he care about? What does he say that is success? And I, I think there's some clues here. Now, I believe these are seven letters to seven specific churches in a specific time in history. But this We're going to see throughout Revelation that John even told us in chapter 1 that he's going to use symbols and signs and pictures to help us understand a reality that we might miss. So he's using pictures to help us. And the number 7 is a a number of completeness, perfection. And so I believe these are letters to specific churches, but they're also letters to all churches in all time. It's the complete time of the church. And these are letters for us. Some people have interpreted these as ages, and that could be. I'm not, I'm not going to knock that. There could be some value to that. But, but I know for sure that these are letters for all of us. This is, these are letters are, are for us and what God wants to speak to us. So I just want to highlight a few things that I observe about what Jesus is really looking for in the church. And it's a surprising list. It might not be the things we immediately think of. Like, a lot of times we, we pick churches based on who's preaching, what the music is, what the building's like, but none of that stuff shows up in this list. Look what Jesus looks for. He looks for, in the, book of, in the first letter to Ephesus, he says, hard work and perseverance. He looks for hard work and perseverance. He looks for not tolerating wicked people in your midst. He looks for testing the teaching of the teachers. 
he looks in, the, in that first uh, letter to Ephesus, he looks for perseverance through hardship. Like, he's more interested in how do we respond when it's hard, <laughs> when we're, we're struggling, when we're suffering. You know what he's really looking? He's looking at our character. <laughs> he cares more about our character than, than our giftedness or how, how, how many great things we can do. He, he's looking at who we really are. He says that we persevere through hardship for Jesus' name. He, he's looking for our identity. Do we know who we are? <laughs> do we know who we belong to? Do we think we belong to ourselves, that we can do whatever we want? Or do we understand that our identity is rooted in Jesus, that, that we, as it said in chapter 1, we are the ones who have been forgiven through his blood, that we've been purchased by his love, that he rescued us from our sin, that, that we at the very core are sinful, all of us. And we all need the same thing. We need his grace. We need his love. We need his forgiveness. And it's in that place of, of, of the gospel that we come alive. As Jesus said, when we crucify ourselves and we take up our crosses and follow him, then we can really live. <laughs> That's what he looks for. To the letter in Smyrna, he says, even in spite of physical poverty, there's riches of character and faith. You see, Jesus isn't, he's not impressed by how much money we have or even how much money we give. He, he's impressed by our faith, our character, our joy, even in trials. To Pergma, he talks about being faithful to the point of death. <laughs> I mean, we don't, we don't talk about that in our first step class. We don't say, you know, you might have to die for this. You know, we don't, we don't talk about that. But, but Jesus talks about that. He talks about being witnesses in the sense of martyrdom, that we're willing to die for this. Like, do we believe Jesus so much that we're willing to lose our physical lives and everything we have? Wow. The only name mentioned in these letters is Antipas. A man who was willing to die as a witness of Jesus Christ. What does Jesus look at? He looks at our deeds, our love, our faith, our service, our perseverance. He looks at, are you doing more than you did at first? He says that in Thyatira, right? He's saying, are we growing, right? Are we growing in our character? Are we growing in our love? Are we growing in our faith? Are we growing in our humility? Are we growing in our, our character? Are we being transformed, right? Are we being sanctified, right? It's a process, like he's patient. He's, he's, he's patient with us, but he wants to see if we're growing. And then in Pergma, he says, are you remaining true to my name? Are you remaining true to my name? I love what John 15 says, where Jesus says, Remain in me, abide in me, and I will remain in you. And I think it's really uh, insightful that the first letter really sets the tone. And the thing that Jesus most points out to the church is the issue of their first love. The issue of their first love. That tells me what Jesus is measuring <laughs> might not look like what we often measure or think about. He's concerned with our love. And I think that issue of the first love has to do towards God, and I think it's a reflection of what we know the very central message of the whole Bible is about, is about loving God with all our heart, soul, and strength. 
and loving our neighbor as ourselves. And so I think this first love is both vertical in our love for God, but it's also horizontal in how we love others. How do we treat others? How do we live in relationship with the people in our lives? And we know from chapter 1 of Revelation and throughout the Bible is that we are incapable of producing this love on our own, that this first love is ultimately rooted in who God is as love. <laughs> the most basic foundational thing for all of us as followers of Jesus is to know that we are loved supremely so much that Jesus died on the cross for us that he laid down his life for us that he loved us first it's not that we loved him so much but that he loved us and when we understand that love and when we taste and see how good that love is oh it's a joy to love him to give everything to him to live for him with all our strength, with all our mind, with all our heart, everything we are, and to love others. This is the way, and this is the first love. This is, this is to be the character of the church. This is what it means to be the church of Jesus Christ, to be the people of the first love. That's why Jesus' warning is so, so hard, but so strong. But I, I'm growing in this to understand that, you know, we can read this and think, is this harsh? But it's not harsh. In fact, when I read this, and it's striking me more and more, is like, Jesus loves us so much. He cares about us so much. He wants the best for us, and he wants to warn us of danger. I'm, I'm understanding this more as a parent. My, as my kids get older, <laughs> and I mature as a parent, I think Jill and I were just talking the other day, like, man... They don't give you this manual for parent, this parenting thing. It's so hard, right? <laughs> and, and it feels like we fail so much. But as we grow, we wonder, why do we get so angry? Why do we get so frustrated? Why do we get so disappointed? But when we examine our hearts, it's really because we love so much. We love our kids so much. And we want the best for them. <laughs> like, like, we can't even t describe it to them, but we just want them to be the, have the best and be the best and experience life to all the best that it can be. And that's what I hear when I hear these letters to the churches from Jesus. I hear a love for his children. <laughs> he wants the best for us. He doesn't want to take from us. He wants to give. And that's why each letter ends with, I want to give you. I want to give you. I want to give you. I want you to have this. I want you to have this. This is the most precious thing I can give to you. But you need to know there are things that can keep you from blessing, from goodness, from joy, from happiness, from everything I intended for you. And so his warnings are strong. And boy, as parents, sometimes our warnings are strong against our kids, right? <laughs> and our kids don't always understand why are we so upset, but, but because we know, we know that there's danger. There's things that can steal what's good from their lives. And so that's the heart of Jesus here. What does Jesus warn them against? This false teaching, and it's repeated in all the, the letters, and, and we don't have time to go deep into this, but, but what I know for sure is the false teaching that was being uh, promoted internally in the churches is still alive and well today. In this sense, Revelation is a prophetic book. <laughs> Not only speaks of what will happen in the future, but it's prophetic in that it speaks to the truth of the reality we live in, the battle for our hearts and our souls. And what is this false teaching? It's we know from other teachings in the Bible and what he describes, this is a form of Gnosticism, a form of Gnosticism, which denies 
the goodness of the physical reality of who God made us, and it upholds an internal spiritual or psychological reality as more true or better than the physical. So what does this mean? This shows up in a lot of ways in our world today. It's, it's, it's so pervasive in our world. Now, I want you to notice, God's not railing against the world system. The world, the world has, has not given their lives to God. They've rejected who God is. But for his people, the church, we have to know there's, there's pressure from without. But this danger can come from within. So we have to be careful. We have to see. And so when we separate the physical from the spiritual, we begin to think that the internal, the, the, the psychological, the feelings are somehow more important than the physical. So how does this show up? Well, a very simple one or one that doesn't seem real harmful, but, but this idea that we can somehow be Christians or spiritual without being part of the church is a Gnostic idea. <laughs> that we, can, we don't, like, and we saw this during the pandemic, that we can be Christians, that we can worship anywhere without coming together. But Jesus said, where two or three are gathered. There is something very powerful about physically being together and declaring together God's glory and being a community together. It's in the physical act of worship and kneeling and coming together and singing and sharing and giving our lives that, that God designed us for. And so separating somehow a psychological from the reality of the physical. How does this show up in our culture? He mentions sexual immorality. And so it's in this area of life that Gnosticism shows its ugly head. And so what, what people were saying in the early church, because they lived in a sexualized culture, where in the Roman culture, where, where many people had multiple sexual partners, and the church was saying, no, God has called us as men and women to be married in one relationship of marriage, man and woman for life. That's the way of God. That's the design of God. That's what's best for us. And that was so radically different from the Roman culture. And some Christians were saying, well, I've received the grace of God, so I can do whatever I want. I can have multiple partners. I can go outside of the marriage relationship. And what does Jesus say? I hate that. I hate it. Because it damages. In fact, that word Nicolation literally means destruction. We don't know all the roots of that word, what it means, but, but I don't think it was just it's talking about a, a religious group. It was this Gnostic teaching. And Jesus is saying it's destructive. It destroys so where do we see Gnosticism in this area in our culture? Pornography. It's Gnostic. It separates the reality of who God made us as body and soul and mind and everything we are, and it tries to separate it and isolate it, and it's destructive to God's image and its people. Homosexuality is sexual immorality. It's not what God intended for his people. Transgenderism, that would somehow a person could say, I'm a man or woman in a man or woman's body is the epitome of Gnosticism. In fact, one of the early Gnostic Gospels, the Gospel of Thomas, talked about how a man would say he's a woman and a woman would say he's a man. This is not new. <laughs> this was in the time when this letter was written to the church and Jesus is saying, watch out, be careful. A world that hates God and hates his authority will try to fight against the physical reality of how God made us. So we got to watch out when we hear that somehow feelings or what we think we are inside, that we can define our own identity and we fight against the reality of who God is and who, who He made us. Another one is abortion. It's also a Gnostic idea. 
that somehow the feelings or well-being is somehow separated from the physical reality of life. So what is God's best for us? We have to remind ourselves that God isn't wanting to keep something good from us. He wants the best for us. (laughs) He wants to warn us of destruction. And He wants us to be witnesses of the tree of life. (laughs) That goodness, blessing, joy is found in Him. That our identity in Him. And that when He created us to be human beings, male and female, to live in relationship with one another and covenantal faithfulness, that that is the good life. And that's what Jesus has for us. And so the church is a witness of these things. That just like in the Roman times, the Christians were persecuted. (laughs) He said, some of you are going to suffer. Some of you are going to be put in prison for holding to these things. But we are called for Christ. Our identity is in Him and we live for Him. We worship Him. We follow Him. We obey Him. He defines who we are and He gives us victory. I want you to notice in each letter, how does He end? To the one who is victorious. (laughs) You know what that word is? It's the word Nike. Some of you have uh, Nike apparel or shoes, right? Do you know what? That's a Greek word that means victory. (laughs) Overcoming. Victory. You see, God knows that we're going to be in a battle. It's going to be a fight (laughs) to hold to what he wants to give us. It's not going to be easy. There's pressure on the outside, a world that has said no to God. Remember the temptation of the tree was to eat of the knowledge, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. That word knowledge is the same word where we get the word gnosis, gnostic, knowledge. If we think we can find happiness or life or we can define what's good or bad outside of God, that is the epitome of sin. That is the epitome of the human condition. And that's why Jesus came, (laughs) to rescue us from our own way, which is destructive. And so how do we find victory? How do we find victory as individuals from our desires of sinfulness? As churches, our desires towards selfishness. In fact, Paul says in 2 Timothy 3 that the characterization of the last days would be that people would be lovers of themselves. And I think that's true in individuals, but I think that could be true in churches where we just, we're only thinking about ourselves, but that is eating of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. As if we could figure it out. No. No. We eat from Christ. (laughs) We eat of Him. He gave His body, His blood, and when we eat of Him, then we can live in true freedom. Then we can live in the way God has called us into a radical kind of love, and that's what this first love is all about. It's It's a radical kind of love, and so where does victory come from? Victory is found in Jesus, and it's demonstrated through love. I'm going to invite the worship team, and as they come up, I want to share this story. Um, some of you have seen in headlines uh, places of the world that are very uh, dark. Uh, some of you have heard about a place called Haiti. It's in the Caribbean. And uh, usually when you think of Haiti, you think of problems, right? There's economic problems, there's political problems, there's a lot of problems there. I got to go one time, and, and there is a lot of darkness. 
Maybe, like Jesus said in one of these letters, maybe it's a place where Satan resides. I don't know. But all I know is there's a lot of human suffering. There's a lot of darkness. But you know what else is in Haiti? And I experience this. There's a lampstand in Haiti. There's a church in Haiti. And you know what I saw in the midst of all that darkness? The churches have these homes for for young men and young women. And a lot of these young people are caught up in gangs and drugs and and destructive culture. But in this home for young men and this home for young women, as we walked in to worship with these young people and we heard their stories, here's what I saw. The church in the midst of so much darkness, so much suffering, they weren't just sitting around. They weren't selfish. They were giving radical love to the people around them. And in these homes, they had rescued young women who were caught up in prostitution, caught up in the sex trade. And you know what we heard over and over these young women say? We met Jesus, and he changed everything. He forgave us. He gave us dignity. He gave us hope. But in the church, we found people that loved us radically, sacrificially, who gave everything for us. And one of those young women sang a song, and it was the first time I had ever heard this song, uh, No Longer Slaves. I had never heard the song until I was in Haiti, and I heard her sing, No Longer a Slave to Fear, I Am a Child of God. From my mother's womb you have chosen me. Love has called my name. I've been born again into your family. Your blood flows through my veins. This girl could sing it because Jesus put a church in Haiti to love radically in the face of darkness, in the face of suffering, in the face of hardship, in the face of evil. The church chose the first love. And I, when I think of Haiti, I don't think of the dysfunction. You know what I think of? I think of that girl singing that song. And I think of beautiful people who emanate joy and love and worship, and work hard, and persevere, and develop character because of who Jesus is. Their identity is in Jesus. Will you join me in praying this morning? Lord, as we read these letters to the churches, Lord, I pray that we would have ears to hear what the Spirit says to us in Rapid City, that we would be your lampstand here, Lord, that you would call us to love radically, completely. Not for selfish reasons, but for your name. <laughs> that your name might be glorified. That your name might be known. That you might save this world that's drowning in fear and darkness and despair. That there's hope, there's life, there's truth, there's redemption, there's forgiveness. Oh, praise your name, Jesus.
thanks so much for being here, you guys. Looking forward to seeing you next week. And pray that you continue to praise our God each and every day.